Ben. Welcome to this week's episode of Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis. I'm Thad Hate. And this week we watched Season 1, Episode 8 of SG-1, The Knox. What do you remember? Um, uh, for not having seen this episode too many times, uh, I remember quite a bit of it. Um, I remember that they go to the planet and the Knox are doing their spiritual invisible stuff and that they try to kill Apophis and that the Knox stop them. Uh, yeah, no, that's pretty similar to what I remember. I remember that they had funky hair yep. and that's it. I remember that they had funky hair. I remember <sighs> nothing else about this episode. I mean, a little bit of they're, you know, more mysterious slash powerful slash whatever than they seem, but mostly it was the funky hair for me. <laughs> so our synopsis from TV Guide is O'Neill and the team are sent to a planet in search of mysterious beings that have the power to disappear. Yeah. I mean, On the nose. Yeah, that's actually a good synopsis. I mean, it's only like the synopsis of the first like 10 minutes of the episode, but that's Honestly, I like that, because then it doesn't give away what happens. Right. Like the synopsis for the first episode. Yeah. So, let's talk about what happens. Alright. Well, we start with something I don't know if we ever hear again in a Stargate episode. The very first line of the episode is, Stargate in motion. Yeah. I mean... That was different. Which is also really weird because the next line after that is Chevron 6 encoded, which means that Stargate should have been in motion for a while already. Yeah, it, it's, it's been motioning for a minute. <laughs> but hey, Walter. Yeah. Telling us that 7th Chevron's locked. Indeed. Loving it. And then we have the secretary, I guess it's something. Defense, maybe? Secretary of Secretarying things, obviously. He's played by that guy. Yeah, a little. Like, I've seen him in other things. Off the top of my head, I can't remember what else I've seen him in, but I've definitely seen him in other things. Uh, yeah, I couldn't put my finger on him. Vaguely familiar, but just sort of in a, you know, 50, 60-year-old, stately white guy sort of way. Uh, so they're talking with the Secretary who's questioning why are we even bothering to go to these plants where we're not going to bring back some sweet guns. Um, and uh, Sam points out they've been to 19 worlds. So now we know how many planets they've been to. Although my question is that SG-1 has been to 19 worlds or the whole SG program? Because we're 80 episodes in. That seems low for the whole SG program. Especially since, yeah, we know that SG-1 has been to planets that we haven't seen on the show because they refer to them. Right. But I feel like she would be talking about the program. Yeah, but that's such a low number. Mm. Especially mm. when you view that this episode in production order is like episode 16 or something. Oof. So Teal then chimes in once he's had enough of this conversation. Cuts to the chase. What technologies are you looking for? Do you seek? Fine. Be that way. What technologies do you seek? <laughs> You know, and then launches in to say that, you know, the Gould have been seeking after this creature that has the ability, you know, has the powers of invisibility. And the secretary says, invisibility. You mean like stealth? And I really wish nah. I'd be like, no, we mean like invisibility. Yeah, because stealth is not quite the same thing. It's not quite the same thing. I mean, you know, to be stealthy is to be near invisible, but to be invisible is to be, you know, invisible. I mean... 
when you're invisible, it makes being stealthy a lot easier. So much easier. But when you're stealthy, you're not invisible. It's true. Yeah. So anyway, they go through the gate. And apparently they don't all step through at exactly the same time? Yeah, maybe Jack was tied up, like, saying goodbye to General Hammond, telling him to don't worry about leaving the roast on, he'll be home later, or something. I don't know. And then he looks all around him, including the direction that Carter appears from a moment later, and, like, where is everybody? Uh, Yeah, I mean, for a half second there, when the episode, when he first stepped through, I'm thinking, did Jack get sent alone? Is that a thing that we're doing now that I don't remember at all? Yeah, no, that's actually what I thought, too. Yeah. But yeah, no, so he meets back up with them, and, you know, they're like, well, we saw it go off that direction. You know, I saw it as well, says Teal'c, and you don't need to correct me. And <laughs> Jack, like, looks around for ten seconds, and he's like, well, guess there's nothing here. And then we get... We the- don't get to hear what else he's saying, because the Stargate... Ha- Sorry for cutting you off. Because the Stargate has disappeared. Uh, but I really hope that it was going to be something like, let's go get our more complicated searching gear, because otherwise it's like, well, let's go home. Yeah, otherwise, why did they bring that... Oh, man, I've already forgotten the name of that thing. I could have swear they called it Fred once. Fred, that's it. Yes. Yeah, in the first episode, it was called Fred. Anyway. Anyway, they split up to try to find the invisible thing. Yes. And Jack and Daniel do see it. Jack's about to shoot it with a tranquilizer when uh, when it flies off because a staff blast is just shot at it. Uh, yeah, which I didn't notice the first time I was watching the episode. Like, I don't know. I looked away at that exact second or something. So Jack na- naturally is like, yo, Teal, what's up? And Teal says it wasn't him. And that's when we see Apophis. And let me just say, I love all of Apophis' facial, facial expressions throughout this entire episode. Yeah. I was super distracted every time Apophis was on screen and talking because, and I mentioned this to you already, but uh, due to the way my sound system was parsing the sound, it like didn't register Apophis' input as, not as, as dialogue because the voice wasn't in the same range as normal human dialogue. So it was like coming through all of my speakers at once. See, that's just weird to me. Like, everyone else's dialogue was coming out of the center speaker, but Apophis wasn't, because it wasn't in the normal dialogue range. Okay. This this will not be a problem after season one of SG-1, because all the other seasons have actual surround stuff. Okay. Anyway. Good to know. Anyway, they decide, oh, well, we've got to take out Apophis, because we need to get information from him on how to rescue Shara and Kara. Well, it's... It, it, it's you know it's Jackson that's that's uh, that's pushing for this. Well, because he wants to get his wife back. Uh, sure, but yeah, you know, a little out of character for him, I would say. Mm. I mean, not the wanting to get his wife back, but the hey, let's drop everything about this mission and let's attack people. I mean, to be fair, Daniel wasn't like super invested in the mission. Again. Mm. All right. So anyway, they set up an ambush, but it does not go well. Right. For all the, if we're going to do this, we have to plan the attack very carefully that Carter gives us. If we're going to do this, we better plan the attack very carefully. Boy, they sure don't seem to plan that attack very carefully. And we get the first time that Daniel dies on Stargate SG-1. I mean, Jack and Sam die as well, but that's less memorable. Yes, but not the first time that that, uh, Daniel Jackson has died after going through a Stargate. 
which I wish they had brought up when he woke up, I guess, post-death. I'm not sure what you're referring to. In the movie, he... Uh, in the movie, they're there, like, in the throne room or whatever you want to call it. Um, Jack O'Neill makes a grab for one of the... Well, I guess Jaffa, but they don't ever call him that in the movie. For one of their weapons, uh, fight breaks out. One of them opens fire. Jackson steps in front of it, gets blasted, and then wakes up later in the sarcophagus. Huh, I don't remember that at all. It's been a while all since I've seen the movie. I promise. I-, I believe you. You should. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. Okay, well, in that case, then maybe it doesn't matter so much that you didn't say, like, boy, I definitely felt like I died again <laughs> when he woke up. So, yeah, so they all die. Yep. And Apophis is confused. Yeah, because not only do they die, but they disappear. Exactly. And, I mean, those were some pretty good confused facial expressions, but wouldn't you be confused, too? Oh, no, absolutely. But if I were confused but also masquerading as a god, I think I would have a little more self-control. Mm, that's fair. Anyway, they wake up in a hut, and there's, like, a dumb joke when Daniel sees that his scar, his wound is completely healed over. He checks Sam, and Sam wakes up as he's looking at her what used to be her wound, she's like, what are you looking at? As if he's, like, trying to get a glimpse of something. I don't know if I would call that a dumb joke, but it was it was definitely a thing. I mean, I don't know if I would call it a joke. Okay, joke's the wrong word. It was it was a dumb thing to put in there. Yeah, I'll give you that. Alright, so then all right. they all realize that they were dead, and now they're alive. Mm-hmm. And then a knock guy with, you know, that weird hair comes in. Funky. Yeah, funky. That's, that's... Yes, and says nothing. Uh, and then a Knox woman with equally funky hair comes in mm-hmm. and gestures. Also. Also says nothing, yes. Then they go outside and they meet another Knox man, played by Armin Zimmerman. Yes. Who and... will, of course, quark on Deep Space Nine. Yes. And the headmaster on Buffy. Yes. Headmaster or principal? I'm saying just from just from the position of what was the proper title. It's the same basic. Yeah, it's the same. It, I mean, the two words mean the same thing, but yes, his official title is probably principal. Yeah. But anyway, Armin Shimmerman, who also says nothing. Yep. And we get, uh, and we have a little kid. Uh, that's an N, but I don't remember the rest of the name. Natreyu. And he also says nothing. True. They do ask for their gun. But... Yes, but but first, they're offered fruit. Jack feels like, oh boy, fruit. And all I'm thinking from this is, me, Jack, me, eat, meat, and sometimes potatoes. And then he'll And then, yeah, just, like, wanders in, which yeah. is weird. Well, uh, the, the, the Treyu leaves him, but yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that at all. Both times I watched it, I just, like, I, what I saw was just he'll wandering in. And then Natreyu walks up to Sam, points at himself, and says, Natreyu. Yes. Sam touches him, says Natreyu, and touches herself and says, Carter. And haha, first contact made. Seems weird. I feel like she should... I feel like she should have said Sam, but what? Mm-hmm. Anyway. And Jack makes a dumb joke. That's Jack's point. Which one was his dumb joke this time? No, you can't keep it. Oh, yeah, no. It was so dumb I didn't pick up on that joke. So then they have food. The Knox 
gives them some food, and yep. Armin Sherman, out of the blue, says, I will take you to your doorway. And they're like, holy crap, you speak English. He's like, well, it took me a little while to learn. Yeah. Yes. And so then, you know, they start talking, and about the, they, they, they talk about the gold, and how the gold are bad, and they don't mm-hmm. go around killing people normally, but... He's just bad. He's very bad, bad. We just wanted to take him back to our world and have a little chat with him about all the nasty, bad yeah. things he's been doing. But for Gould, they'll make a special special circumstances. They're bad. Yeah. It's basically how that comes out. Yeah. And uh, uh, Daniel asked if they can teach them their ways, like how they brought them back to the dead. Yeah, no, they, you know, they're like, you know, you, you know, you're going to leave soon. They say, you know, with a question, but as a sort of command or order. Yep. And the woman, who I don't know for sure if they ever give her name on in this episode. No, they do. Uh, Laya, I think it was. That's it. Yeah, I was gonna say because she does show up again later in the show, and they do give her. Yeah. She never, they never like introduce her properly, but later someone says, Oh, why is over there? They also do, they don't really introduce, um, they they don't really introduce any of them except the trait, but they do mention the names of the two guys, but I don't remember what they are. I can't remember what the eldest one's name is, but he gets, he gets properly introduced. He says, You know, this is name, he's one of our eldest. Well, they say, Yeah, they, well, yeah, not quite like that, but yeah. They ask if there's an elder, and they say, this guy is one of our elders. Right. But yeah, but, uh, yeah Armin Shimmerman's character, they do say his name at one point, but I didn't write it down. So, terrible my job. But another thing, when they're all sitting together, and Jackson leans over to Jack and says, I think they're a family, and Jack replies back, of what? And all I'm thinking is, dude, he's met exactly as many aliens as you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daniel's probably met a few more Abedonians than Jack did. Well, in the sense of, like, alien species. Okay. So, if you don't know, neither does he. Word. So, anyway, then, uh, Laya says that his, that Teal's brother is not woken up. Okay. Right. And that's when we find out that the Nox have also picked up one of the Jaffa who were who fell in the fight. The uh, first crime it even appears to be. Well, no, because if you notice, so we're gonna, I'm going to get to that in just a second. Uh, so you notice that when we first encounter Apophis and his Jaffa, they all had that mark on their foreheads. With the, like, the full gold, not like a tattoo. Ah. I, no, I didn't notice that. However, uh, what's about to happen uh, is that we got our first instance of Teal making it clear that he was the first prime. Because when I say, your friend is in the hut, and Jack's, and Jack, you know, oh, do you know who this is? Like, yes, he served under me when I was Apophis' first prime. Mm. But in the attack on Apophis, the first time around, uh, we also get, for the first instance of Shopa, yeah. which we will get so many more times throughout the run of the show. And I die free. Yes, which is our first hint towards, hey, future knowledge. Um, Teal having not just 
like defected for whatever reason, but his sort of larger quest um, and fight for freedom against the Gould. But we are getting a little ahead of that. Sure, a little, but I mean, like, I'll, you know, just just to say, hey, this is, you know, this is sort of new. And they, they anyway, they tell the Noct that that guy's actually a bad guy. The Noct are like, well, perhaps you can convince him to join you. Right. If you're such good guys, maybe. Yeah. And then the Noct mentioned that the Gould often come here to hunt the Fen... Fenry. That's it. And then they talk about how Jackal may die, but if he doesn't, he's going to tell Apophis about the Noct. The Noct will be in danger. Right, and every time this sort of thing comes up where if Shackle were to live, blah, 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 or whatever, it's always taken by the other people like, so you think we should kill them? Yeah. Okay, so we are we cut back to Apophis now. Mm-hmm. Briefly, where he's just like, yo, Jaffa, like, do your jobs. And we just get so many more delicious Apophis facial impressions. It's weird that he would venture out with only three Jaffa, but that's neither here nor there. He is a god. Yes, a very confused god. So then, after Apophis talks to them, we go back to heel standing guard on the apparently comatose Shackle, who is also in Shackle. Well, he's in rope, but I get where you're going with that. <laughs> and Lyra reveals that he's not actually comatose, pretending. Yes. Which apparently Teal'c had trained Shackle to do, to feign sleep while captured, so he could then jump the guard after. I feel like that's not a very honorable thing. I don't know if we've ever gotten a whole lot of talk of honor out of uh, Teal'c or other Jaffa, like from that regard. Have we? I mean, some, but yeah, I guess not a lot. They're not Klingon. I mean, they kind of are the Klingon Stargate, but yeah. Anyway, then uh, we have them, we cut to the, uh, the making bow and arrow, which they did surprisingly well. They got like, skills? Or how quickly they did. Like I like, well, I mean, we think quickly. Who the hell knows? They even have a leather quiver. Okay, that's fair. But <laughs> I like that our first introduction to them having made bows and arrows is Jackson examining the tip of one of the arrows and then saying, I don't really get the point of this. Hmm. Yeah. Which probably wasn't on purpose, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. And then Jack is you know, testing the arrow on a stump and mm-hmm. the little kid who I've already forgotten his name again. Natreyu. Natreyu. Dang, bro. <laughs> you know, terrible. Uh, Natreyu's like, hey, this, if we blunted the tip, it'd be good for getting fruit on the I feel like even if the tip was blunted, no, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Still. Yeah, if it was forked, maybe we're getting somewhere, but blunted, it's like, eh. So then the Fenrir, Fenri, Fenri, shows up. Yes. And Jack tells Treyu to run because he thinks it's a threat, and he tries to shoot. Yes, and then all of a sudden, Armin Sherman appears. Actually, we. All right, you know what? <laughs> Actually, we what? We cut to the old guy oh, yes. eating rainwater off the bar, yes. asking Daniel, and Daniel's saying, I'm trying to cut that. Yes. You know, the oldest joke in the world. Right. Uh, and he and 
Jackson are having a sort of Jackson conversation about such things. And what I touched on was that, you know, how old am I? Because he has psychic abilities. And so Jackson doesn't actually get a chance to ask this question. And has Jackson tell him how humans measure time? And then the guy says, like, oh, I'm 432 years old. But just before that, he had said some of the effect of, like, you know, it takes many years to learn. It's like, you already know the term and the language. Jackson's terms are are how long it takes the Earth to revolve. And uh, is, and that shouldn't, the knock shouldn't be able to use that as a frame of reference. Well, no, in that case, then he's 432 Knox planet years old. Right, but we have no idea how many that is in human years. Or Earth. That's true, it could be 27. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, this actually doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, he's psychic. Maybe he plucked out of it and did the math in his head. Possible. Then we have Armin Shimmerman lecturing Jack on poisoning the trade's mind. Armin Shimmerman. Armin Shimmerman. Armin Shimmering. <laughs> back into appearance. Nice. Boom. <laughs> Once I finally got it out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, exactly. He's like, you know, will you, you know, why did you try to attack the Fenry? And it's like, it's because trying to save Betray. You're like, oh, you'll save his body, but not poison his mind. Shimmerman does not like O'Neill. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, ish. You know, we, we get a good line out of him later, which kind of better sums up the his, uh, his stance on it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, they talk about how, then we, we cut to the team talking about how. They are, the Nox are definitely not human. Oh, and the old guy's name is Ofer. Ofer? I thought, I, I heard it pronounced as Ofer, but yeah. Well, it could, be that this, it could be this subtitle was wrong. It's O-H-T-E-R. But That's that the same subtitle that I saw, but I heard it pronounced as Ofer. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, they talk about how, and, and, so Daniel says he's 432 years old, and Jack's like, well, guess what? They're not human. Like, okay, Jack? Yeah, dude, look at the funky hair. Like, what the... Well, no, Jack. Uh, Jack's saying it, like, sarcastic. They're not human. And it's like, sure, but what's the point of saying? Well, there was the bit when they first met the Knox, and they were trying to figure out if they were human, I think. Anyway, and then? Uh, and then. Uh, they, talk, they talk again about how the tools are bad, and they're going to enslave the Nox. Yes. And the Nox are like, we're not afraid. I ain't afraid. <laughs> Quite. And then Jackal, well, no, Jackal has not yet left, but he has a conversation with Teal. Teal stuff. And then he pulls a knife, and that's his bond. He'll try to stop him, stab Teal, and kill Lyra, and leave. Lyra. That's it. Yes. But he doesn't, like, completely leave. He just, like, goes out into the bushes and then hunkers down to what? Well, uh, probably to see what direction they go to follow him. So he, I presume, having never tried to escape from anyone ever. Um, it makes a certain degree of sense that it's like if you have the ability to sort of, you know, get a little ways away and then hunker down and see which direction they go off in, then you have a better idea of what direction you need to go in to evade capture. Um. I mean, 
I don't know if he would have had the idea to stay behind to see, like, oh, let's gather some additional intelligence. Yeah. Like, that seems unlikely. I mean, because what were the odds that he was going to see something really incredible? I mean, he ends up doing so, but... Right, exactly. So anyway, then we see the knock shimmering in and out of existence, or visibility, right? As yes. they heal Laya. Laya. I know, I'm helping. And we watch, you know, Shackle being a lawyer. Yes, we watch Shackle watch. So then Shackle runs away, and the Armin Shimmermoon reveals that the Nox cannot hide themselves while performing the ritual of light. Kill light. Oh, we can't. I guess. He doesn't say that, but that's the trick. Right. So then they try to track Shackle, but they don't have much luck immediately. Uh, no, they find Shackle right around the time that Apophis and his gang find Shackle, uh, so it's kind of pointless. Yeah, and right before they find Shackle, they tell Treyu to go back to camp, but Treyu's like, I want to meet a ghoul. Right, and then the train just disappears, and it's like, uh... And this is... No, not yet. Soon. So then, uh, Shackle talks to other Jaffa, the other Jaffa, and Kiel and Jack are there listening, and You'll get transferred to the Yes. So then they go back to the Nox, and Armageddon is like, no, we're not going to fight. And is this the part where Jack tells Armin Shimmerman that Natreyu <laughs> ran off? Uh, yeah. Right. So this is where we get the line The very young do not always do what they are told. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of sums up. Shimmerman's mm-hmm. impression of Jack and the rest of SG-1, which is like, ah, oh, I mean, I don't care how old you are on your planet. <laughs> and then Treyu shows up in front of Apophis and says, that's right. And Apophis is filled with glee. Yeah. Apophis also says that Treyu and then uses the cool hand. Yes. Which we've never fully, like, figured out what he, like, sometimes it's used to hurt people, sometimes it's used read their minds, sometimes you heal people. What is this thing? It's not used for heal people, that's another thing altogether. Oh yeah, you're right, that's that other thing on the hand. The, the, the big red tool. Yep. You're right. Okay, but sometimes it's used to kill people, sometimes it's used to read their minds. I mean, anyway. Yeah. In this case, it was used to kill. Yes. And then they leave Mitraeu in the middle of the woods, like, with nothing around. And Jack, like, part of these traps. Oh, trap? Trap. Right. Obviously. But the trap doesn't immediately spring itself, so... So they carry you back to the, like, altar-type thing they use to heal. Yep. And Jack's saying that you shouldn't do this. Jaffa will attack, like, we must. And there will be no killing. And so Jack says, okay, we're leaving. We're not going to watch you get blocked. But they don't act. No, it's a clever ruse. And then we see that Jack is wrapping something on the arrow. I didn't actually see. It's a tranquilizer dart. Ah! Okay. I didn't see it on the first watch through. I didn't notice it on the second. I'm like, say, Nitreyu escorting Teal back into the hut <laughs> area. Uh, but yes, he's wrapping a he's wrapping a tranquil, tranquilizer dart to the arrow because I feel like that is. He's 
really hoping that he's going to hit a pop face. Just otherwise. Well, yeah, we can get to that later. But because, as Carter says in nerd speak, that he's hoping that Apophis's shield protects him directly proportional to the amount of kinetic energy that hits it. I'm shortening what she nerded out a little bit. Yeah. So you're guessing that the shield's deflection capability is directly proportional to the amount of kinetic energy being directed at it. Yeah. Right. The idea being that the more kinetic force something has when it interacts with the shield, the more the shield repels it. So Jack points out what Jack was going off of was that one of the Jaffa tossed a staff weapon to Apophis and it went right through the shield and everything hunky-dory. That's not directly proportional. If it were directly proportional, it would stop it with exactly the same amount of force that it had. Okay, well, then just proportional. Maybe she didn't say directly. She didn't say directly, which is wrong. Yeah, fine. Anyway. But anyway. Uh, so. Can we get a close up of a green and orange fire? Green and orange fire? I don't remember that at all. Right. Oh, right is that from like the Ritual of Life or something? Yeah. Ah, I don't care about that. <laughs> yes, Jack is hoping that his tranquil- tranquilizer arrow will penetrate uh, Apophis' shield. Yeah, but like even if it does penetrate his shield, he's wearing armor. He is wearing armor. Anyway. So, anyway. a properly well-planned attack takes place. Yeah. Like, maybe they should have done it this way the first Exactly, where they're like hiding under like false floors and stuff and popping out of the ground and doing like leg kick scissor things to knock the Jaffa down. Jackson can actually hit stuff and he staff blasts one of the Jaffa, you know, and just like this is a well planned attack. Yeah. Jack gets the you know gets the drop on Apophis again and again way too slowly brings his weapon up and <laughs> fires the arrow and Apophis disappears like a scumbag. And Jack then just yells, "He'll be back." He'll be back. Much like the Terminator. What? So then we cut to them walking to where the Stargate used to be. Yes. And Armin Shimmerman is Armin Shimmering again. Uh-huh. And Jack says they'll come with ships in an army, and army is like perhaps. And then we see yeah, it. no, he's he's thoroughly like there's no plusing happening with him. He is he is no. non-plused. And then we see them betray. It was okay because he shimmers into existence. Well, yes. And they tell the Nox that they're afraid for them, and that's when they reveal the giant flying city. Yeah. So here's what got me about this was. As Teal said, it is our way that the strong defend the weak. And, okay, so, so far, you've seen these people cast invisibility on anything that they choose, have the ability to teleport things that they choose. They can also bring people back from the dead, but you're the strong? <laughs> Just because they don't have guns, it's a very narrow-minded view. And then, as you said, he shows them the the Armin Shimmerman shimmers in the floating city. 
which doesn't necessarily prove that they're capable of withstanding the Gould attack, like just the city's existence, since right. he has already, Armin Shimmer said, that they don't defend themselves. But, you know, basically, since they can just make everything disappear, there won't be anything to do with that. Right, exactly. So, that's fine. So, then they're like, ah, so they have a technology far greater than the Gould, and they walk and Exactly. So, this episode has some strong parallels to an original Star Trek episode called Aaron. Okay. In which uh, the Enterprise tries very hard to convince a seemingly uh, undeveloped planet that they need Federation's help against the Klingons because the Klingons are going to invade. Okay, so when I had made the cracked the joke about Jaffa being Klingons. Yeah. I didn't know about this parallel. Let's just get this out of the way right now. Because I might be a nerd, but I'm not a nerd like my co-host is. And then it's revealed that the, the inhabitants of this planet, the Arganians, are actually like super powerful energy beings. Okay. And they don't believe in violence. So, you know. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, if we want to make this like a new segment, this is how this episode is like a classic episode of Star Trek. I'm all for it. Why the heck not? Because especially first season and even the later seasons, we're going to have any number of episodes that are going to be a obviously like other common sci-fi episodes. Oh, no, I, I fully, I fully intend to bring it up every time it happens. And also mostly sort of like okay this one was fine which was my opinion of this episode it was like okay this one was fine i just i don't like and maybe it's just because i'm a you know violent undeveloped primitive human but i just don't like whenever we have uh show like and it's a standard hippie aliens yeah it's a it's a standard sci-fi trope you have like the the powerful peaceful hippie aliens that view us as barbaric savages and i eh, it's annoying. yeah it's a little bit weird just because you, you look at it from the perspective of human history and it's like how did you survive past wearing animal skins you know so it, it kind of feels like it's this like weird deceptive thing where either they a evolved on a planet where they had never actually had any sort of threat and just lucked out into hitting like a higher plane of existence or b are willing to paint over their previous violent past and history like no no no, no. we're totally like civilized and peaceful now we're not gonna talk about our first million years of existence where we totally murdered our way to the top. But, yeah, I mean, no, the the episode isn't terrible. Right. It's definitely not the worst episode of the season. Not even the second one. No. We definitely need to, at the end of the season, have, like, a top three and bottom three. Yes. We need to compare our notes on which ones we think are our top three and our bottom three individually. <laughs> yeah. And there are some good episodes in season one, so. Oh, no, absolutely. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so... That was the episode. Uh, next week, episode nine, uh, by watching it on Hulu, is Brief Candle. So if you are following along on the DVDs like my co-host is, then that's what you need to queue up. If you 
have basically go back to that. that disc that we used last week. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because <laughs> the next two episodes are going to be on that disc. And that was that. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Stargate Weekly. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter for all of your up to the minute complaining about various companies' products news. And I'm at Tyrannicus on Twitter for your up to the minute complete lack of tweeting at all. We should really start tweeting. I guess. I guess. And that's that. That was the show. All right. Yes, we know that you noticed our super obvious dub over. You were supposed to, because it's not like we were going to re-record the whole episode, just to correct the fact that we abruptly decided to change our podcast name. Also, we know that we tweet now. I'm just really slow with the editing. Sorry.